What about like if you're standing under multiple umbrellas? Yeah, maybe. I've got an umbrella backpack that just has like basically a patio umbrella. Press a button and it just like makes an awning come out. (laughs) Oh, but you'd have to be an artificer to get that. Oh, well, you can take a one level hit for that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's like one of the the modern day ones where it has the remote. Right. Like, yeah. (laughs) That's speed too. This big, big white plastic contraption like shoots out and just. The way of the sunshade. (laughs) (laughs) Three turns later, it's fully deployed. (laughs) All right. You now have dim light for. you know, ten feet. Yes, and your uh, speed is reduced to ten feet, and you have disadvantage in all deck saves. <laughs> the real play would be to set it up so you can just like stick it into the ground. You know what? This isn't worth talking about. Oh, Gustav Wayne, you automatically fail your save. Just stay put. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no fair. He gets a fly speed. <laughs> Welcome to Monsters and Multiclass, your Dungeons and Dragons fix. I'm Kevin Odie. I'm Jared Bornigal. And I'm Will Milton. And we'll be hanging out with you for a while to talk about anything and everything D&D related. This week we're taking a look at the Monk Warlock Multiclass, Orcs Part 1, and then our very first segment of Ask Monsters Multiclass. So pull up a chair and stick around for a while. Alright, so this week we're taking a look at the Monk Warlock Multiclass. Monk requirements for multiclassing are going to be 13 Wisdom and 13 Dex, where a Warlock is going to be 13 Charisma. Uh, monks are the are a martial class very dedicated to self-purity and literally finding the magic in them that comes out in the form of key, uh, a resource that they use to make themselves more monkey in combat. Warlocks are casters uh weird their own form of full caster that are jesus i'm losing it short um, rest yep <laughs> short rest yeah that's short what i need rest they are short rest sword <laughs> they are short rest and sword no so their spell casting comes back on a short rest and it's very potent um and they usually get their powers uh from making a deal with a greater entity uh and they offer up service to them So, with these two, let's go ahead and turn it to Kevin for some first thoughts. So, as we've discovered since we've done a bunch of monk multi-classes, monks are notoriously hard to multi-class with because to get all your monk stuff, you have to give up a lot of things. No armor, not many weapons. No shields. Yeah, no shields. And then monks get better the longer they're a monk with their martial art die going up and their key going up every level. So, it's a really big cost to multi-class out of monk or into monk because you may not get a lot. Warlock, so I think there are certain things you could do here. Unique little combinations. It's going to be more dips and stuff like that than like full, you know, equal part multi-class. But I think there's a couple couple routes we could take. Yeah. Will? It's, I'm not loving it despite the Warlock aspect of it. Uh, one of the biggest issues I kind of have with it is that there is kind of a almost slavish devotion to the ideals on both ends of this. And I feel like if you don't mesh that right, it might not make a lot of lot of sense there's a not required but almost hinted at corruption to the warlock where you are kind of out of control whereas the monk that seems like something you'd avoid yeah so, that makes sense to some extent the you would have is, that issue with like that oh i'm an incredible incredible karate man but i fail once and now i'm cursed for it and i don't really like that so what i've thought about more for from that role-playing perspective is a monk is really the obsession with perfection 
Uh, and it's very difficult to do that for most people to continue progressing towards perfection every single day. Uh, so the warlock to me comes as an easy way out. Maybe you are offered a path forward along this path of perfection. Uh, and that I could see a monk who does get a little bit corrupted by that idea of, of reaching for perfection. So I like, I like that idea a lot. So yes. I, I see something there. I totally get what you're saying. I think that, you know, in the same way that a paladin is a, is lawful and a warlock is usually chaotic, a monk is usually pretty lawful, but that can get kind of muddied once you, you fail. I mean, and that's something that I think gets avoided in the level up process a lot of times, but can bring a ton of flavor to a multi-class is failing to be what you're supposed to be. So maybe, you know, you're level five monk and you're like, you know, oh, I can't do it anymore. I can't keep monking it up. Uh, and so somebody <laughs> comes in and offers you a deal, a, a devil or a patron or whatever comes in service to you and says, hey, if you work for me, you know, I'll give you some some warlock abilities. Sure, whatever. But I'll also help you and and help you move forward in that that monk potential. Right. It's very much like light side, dark side. Yeah, 100%. Star Wars, Jedi, Sith, bullcrap, mm -hmm. that sort of thing, which yeah, could work very well. Now, as for, because, I mean... Wait, Kevin, are you implying that you can, like, multi-class as a Sith? <laughs> you know, that's kind of the implication. Are you saying there's a reason for Witch Bolt? Like, oh, yeah, no, just get a little bit of evil in there. <laughs> You'll get some lightning, but you can totally be a Jedi. It's fine. Just stick to Jedi. I mean, isn't that the... In okay, I'm not the right person to talk about Star Wars. <laughs> Star Wars. I'm really not. But know. isn't that the entire thing with Anakin going to the dark side? No, then he went. Is he's like, oh, I want emotions to like be okay to have. He and switched like, all the way. No, to, no, no. He switched all the way to Sith. He was not a multi-class. <laughs> That's the point. But Sith isn't the multi-class. The like Jedi as a concept is its own. You know what? This is dumb. I, <laughs> is again, we're not we're not the people to talk about no, this. We're really not. not. So. We'll just avoid it. And people yeah. can yell at us for saying something wrong later, <laughs> which is fine. Now, the first thing that I think of, though, is that this is Wisdom 13, Dex 13, Charisma 13. And those are all pretty important stats for these. Uh, you know, Warlock needs their Charisma in order to have their uh, Eldritch Blast actually be worth casting. Monks need Wisdom and Dex in order to get their AC up. And it's the only way that they can get their AC higher. They're going to need constitution because you just need constitution. So there's two stats that they can ignore, strength and intelligence. Uh, so we're relying on four attributes to make this character not suck. I think there's some things you can do with whichever race you choose to get the correct attributes. Like I think half-elf gives you plus two to charisma right. and plus one to whatever else you want. To two other stats. Two other stats. Half-elves are kind of ridiculous. Yeah, they yeah. really are. <laughs> So, I mean, there's... But yeah, half-elves could definitely do it. You could, you could definitely get there. Right. And then for any, really any build, having high dex and high wisdom is not really a bad thing. Those come up a lot. It's true. They're probably the most common saving throws. Right. About, and yeah. ability checks with wisdom and... Right. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's something there, at least. Now, what type of warlock are you going to be, though? Is what comes up for me because, like, you know, the when you mix a martial class, I think the thing we always go to with warlock is hexblade, right? But I'm not really sure that hexblade fits this at all. Yeah, you would have to be Kenzai monk hexblade, right? I would think because then you could. That being said, you could just pick a regular monk weapon like short sword or something like that and make it your hexblade weapon, right? But some of the benefit of going hexblade is that you can use charisma as your attack modifier, right? And do you need that if you're going monk too? 
Because then you're going to get maybe nope. like two attacks with your sword, and then you're still going to have to make that bonus action attack with your fist that's going to have to use dex. You can't just... Actually, I don't know if you can use charisma for that then. Yeah, I think it's all... All hexblade weapons, I think. Yeah, and your fists aren't weapons. We can squeeze that in, right? <laughs> my my hexblade weapons are my fists and nothing else. Yeah, forged a pack with the god of punching people. When you attack, oh yeah, with that weapon, with the right. hexblade weapon. So yeah, fists don't work for it. Yeah, so that that's kind of a waste, right. which you do get right away. Hexblade curse for a monk is pretty decent, though, because um, you get, yeah, you curse the target, and then you get uh, bonus damage for all of the attacks. Yeah, you gain a bonus to damage rolls against the cursed target. And How monks, much do you get again? Uh, your proficiency bonus, which is nice. So that will scale with you no matter what. And the, Okay, and that's Hexblade's curse. But you right. can only use that, if I remember correctly. Is that on a, sh- a long rest or is that a short, short rest? Once short for short rest. rest. Okay, that's yeah. pretty good. And they, you know, monks attack a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, for flurry of blows, you know, if they're level five and one of the classes, they're going to get five attacks. Right. And then you're adding proficiency bonus. I'm mean, sorry, four attacks. And you're going to add your proficiency bonus four times. Yeah, that's that's yeah, that adds scales up. Scales up pretty well. Yep, and then also the increased chance to crit on a nineteen or twenty instead of just a twenty. Again, if you're rolling four times to hit, that's really nice. Right. Yep, that's yeah. not bad. Yeah, Raise but you, you're right. To... The hex warrior is pretty, pretty wasted because then you get proficiency in medium armor shields and martial weapons, which isn't really helping Can't you use any of that as a monk. And yeah, then yeah, using charisma instead of strength or dex. Yeah, you're gonna I, need I'd dex rather, up anyways. Yeah, I'd rather just focus. Focus on decks, and then it's not really worth going to level six, the accursed specter. Yeah, I mean it's cool, and if like for some reason you want to go for it, it's it's always it's what you're going to get out of it is what you get from going to level five and six in warlock, right. which is just you know more spells, uh, more of your um, what are they called the invocations, which right. can help you with a lot. I mean invocations are what really make the warlock class so interesting. Um, and I think there's actually some some cool interactions there around the Hadar's Grasp and the Repelling Blast. That's the one that pushes. Hadar's Grasp is the one that pulls. Right. So a monk, to me, is a battlefield control martial character. Uh, at level five, they get their stunning strike. So a big portion of what they're doing is locking a single target down. Uh, usually the one that's the biggest problem and just saying like, Hey, I'll take care of them. Everyone else you deal with the other stuff. And this kind of lets the idea of using their Eldritch blast to push and pull people around in a way that puts them where they want them in well with the monks increased movement speed could make for a pretty interesting mechanical character where it's like really what you're doing is just like moving the pawns around to where it is going to be best for you and maybe for your, you know, caster to get a good AOE attack or something. Right. Now, the other thing that I saw is that warlocks get a spell that is generally totally worthless, but it's called Cloud of Daggers. Do you guys know that one? Yep. Yeah. Okay, so... five-foot cube and stuff in it takes some damage. You make a five-foot cube. uh, When a creature enters their turn there, or, sorry, enters it for the first time, they take 2d4 damage. Uh, When they start their turn there, they take an additional 2d4 damage. No save at all. So I like the idea of the Warlock being able to cast that, make the five-foot cube, and then just using the Eldritch Blast and, you know, Stunning Strike to just kind of combo up and just keep that thing locked down into the Cloud of Daggers. And as you level up as Warlock, you know, when you get third-level spells, that does an additional 2d4 as well. So you have, 
actually a, a pretty good damage potential there if you can just uh, push something into it. And maybe you're doing that through your Way of the Open Hand, which is a, a great subclass for this, that if you use your Flurry of Blows, you can also push. Uh, so, you know, in, right. continuing that idea of just being able to push and pull. So you can push the creature into it, maybe stun them, lock them down in it, and then from there, just like move back if you need to and just keep them in it with the uh, with the Eldritch Blast. Obviously not in the same turn. It's just more of like options that you have to do this push and pull. Um, yeah, I think that was going to be a lot harder to get off in practice. Because I mean, you're, <laughs> I don't think it's going to work at all. Yeah, because I mean, like we're talking idea. about being able to move things 10 feet. So it's their turn. Mm-hmm. They're just going to run more than 10 feet away. Or they get right up in your face and cause you to have disadvantage on your attacks. Or right, 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 right. But it's, stuff like that. So if you are within that 10 feet, though, or if you're going up right next to it as well, so then maybe Eldritch Blast isn't really helping you there. But if you do have that way of the open hand, then you can, you know, push them away. Um, you're at least going to force them to make an opportunity attack if they're going to to run away from you. Or maybe if you can, I know this is a lot of attributes already, but if you can get the sentinel feet, then you have the ability to just like, oh, they try and run away. Nope. Just lock them down um, and keep them in that that space to then you run to where you need, push them another 10 feet, push them another 10 feet and just keep getting them into that cloud of daggers. I agree it's not going to be like absolutely perfect every time but it is something you can try and do. And I feel like it's one of those combos that if you can pull it off, you're going to be like, ha ha, I did it. Like, you know, yeah. I actually did the thing. 2d4 a turn. <laughs> well, no, it's 2d4 once. And then when their turn starts, an additional 2d4, plus all the damage from just attacking them normally. Yeah, it's it's kind of an unfortunate spell. That's really not too bad at damage. For second level? 2d4. 2d4, and then you can keep doing it. It's concentration for a minute. Right. And then, so that's 44. I'd rather have Hex up on whatever you're doing here because then you get a 1d6 for every attack. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. And it's that's just attack. Too. It's right. very generic. I just pulled it up. Right. So Eldritch Blast, uh, unarmed bonus attacks, whatever. Just whenever you make an attack. Right. It doesn't so say take the attack action or anything. That's fair. I guess what really, it does scale well if you're continuing to go up in Warlock because then at third level spellcasting, it's 44. And that's 44 when you push them in the first time. Then next turn, 44 again. And then every turn you can, you know, continue mm. that rally. That's so hard. it's, it's. I think you're right. At second level, I don't think that's very worth it. Maybe at third level, definitely at fourth level, because that's going to start being 64. And that is a lot. Right. But well, then you're competing with other fourth level <laughs> yeah. warlock spells. Right. But like this is for the warlock and... monk. <laughs> <laughs> well, hold person. I mean, that's just making it easier to hit them, which. Well, advantage. No. And then. And then it's crit. automatic crits. Yeah. Yeah, I have to do some math on that one. I wonder what the math usually leans towards automatic. But twelve d four is that's pretty good. It's all right. Really? Because that's like a pretty high level magic missile. Actually, I don't know if you can. Is that a ninth level magic missile? I feel like we cast that before. <laughs> <laughs> what do I do? I don't know. I've got a ninth level slot. I don't want to fuck it up. So magic missile. No, you probably wouldn't cast that. But for a fourth level spell, I mean that's. Pretty high damage. Again, it's not eliminating the damage you do just from hitting them normally. Right. Or you could just grab them. So we could sit here and talk about how there are like better ways to do a little bit more damage, but I don't think that's like a bad way to do it. And it is kind of cool. I mean, to me at least, the (laughs) idea of just punching somebody back into a cloud of daggers and keeping them there and just being like, nope, stay. You stay. (laughs) You're going to keep taking damage. And you know, hit them with your stunning strike. Then they literally can't leave it. 
things like that. Right. I think that's probably the better idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Try and grapple them. Good. I, I, I can swear there's better AOE spells too, like that. Like Hunger of Hadar. I'm trying to pull it up. It's Dean Navy. I'm not loading, but. Oh, no. Oh, well, I lost your. There's Wi Fi. <laughs> <laughs> Hunger. Arms of Hadar. Is that it? Or is it Hunger, Hunger of Hadar? 24 radius sphere. Duration for a minute. It's concentration. That's with the uh, cacophony of soft whisters and slurping noises that can be heard oh, yeah. 30 feet away. The slurping Yeah, noises. it's magical darkness. Mm-hmm. Fully blinded if you're in it. Any creature that starts its turn in the area takes 2d6 cold damage. Any creature that ends its turn in the area must succeed on a deck saving throw or take 2d6 acid damage. Okay. And then how can they leave? Are they, is it like difficult terrain or anything? They can leave. Okay. Just one. But it's okay. so it's a bigger area than the five foot cube of cloud right. of daggers. So and the damage is comparable and also makes them blinded. Which is definitely good there. Yeah. But you can't get up to that, can you? Because if you're in it as well, you're going to take the damage. Yeah, you will. Okay. There are trade-offs. I think you're yeah. right. It's it's going to be better for multiple targets, which most of the time is probably going to be the right call. Right. But again, trying to mix it with this monk, which is very hard. <laughs> <laughs> that I see some benefit to just keeping that idea of a monk being the, I'm going to focus on this one target and do what I need to to take down them. Right. Um, the other thing is that they have to, they get a save on that. Right. Is, the, is it a deck save? Was it? Yeah. Okay. Which is usually the thing that monsters are good at. Yeah. But, you know. Unless you use a stunning strike and then they automatically fail it. There you go. There you go. That's a good combo yeah. then. All yeah. right. So you get them into that. Can you, so way of the open hand when on your flurry of blows, you can like push them a certain amount of distance. I think it's like 15 feet or something. Um, can you use your stunning strike on that as well? I think stunning strikes an action. Oh, uh, when you hit another creature with a melee weapon attack, you can spend one key point to attempt a stunning strike. Right. So you can use your flurry of blows, and on the last hit, you push them and do a stunning strike, and it pushes them back into this hunger of Hadar. Well stunned. That's yeah, well cool. stunned. <laughs> I, I think you could do that. I know wording gets weird when it comes to melee weapon attacks, weapon attacks, stuff like that. If you can't do a stunning strike off of your punch... That seems like a huge, huge misstep. That does, yeah. But it is confusing because I know we've talked before about how you're not supposed to be able to smite off of a punch as a monk paladin. Like no, by, you can't. by the rules. No, it's on. the improved divine smite at eighth level, oh. where every attack gets an additional one d eight. That's supposed not supposed to trigger, but you could smite because it's just the weird difference in the wording, which I'm now very tempted to look up. See if that applies here. To which? The stunning strike? Yeah, the stunning strike off of a flurry of blows. So let's see. Stunning strike. Yeah, you said it's a melee weapon attack. You can spend one key point to attempt a stunning strike. So I guess then the question is, does stunning strike allow for your fist to be a weapon? I feel right, so it's a, you are suffused with righteous might. This is the paladin one where you it, this does not trigger off an unarmed attack. So when you are suffused with righteous smite, that all your melee weapon strikes carry divine power with them. Whenever you hit a creature with a melee weapon, the creature takes an extra 1d8 radiant damage. That does not trigger off of your unarmed attack. But then if you go to the monk stunning strike, when you hit another creature with a melee weapon attack, so I don't fucking know. Um, make ruling, kids. <laughs> all right, here's my, I, I, here's we're not going to dive into the intricacies, there is, intricacies of that. Ask Jeremy Crawford. If you... Added something to the monk that specifically required a weapon. You fucked up. 
You don't. You shouldn't yeah. need to use a weapon as a monk. Yeah, that's like yeah. the coolest part about a monk. I get the math. Like, oh, I'm gonna use my stick for one d8, but <laughs> right. No, I think imagine um, like one guy carrying like one weapon. Like, oh, I have to use this for stunning strikes. So in there, there was an errata <laughs> that specifically says unarmed strikes may be used as weapons in melee weapon attacks. Cool. So there we go. Yeah. Okay. And again, I think that's one that like at your table, I don't think anyone would ever sit there and say, no, you can't do that. Right. Um, but you know, we're here to discuss rules at length. So <laughs> we, we sometimes get a little carried away. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. So yes, back to that concept. That would be super cool. Right. You just push somebody back with your way of the open hand right into your AOE attack. Heck, you could even just stud, keep yeah. like moving around and just like pushing everybody back into it. You wouldn't be able to keep them stunned forever, but it at least you know, gets 46 damage right. that they just have to take. Yeah, you're going to start burning through your key, though, because you need the one to do the pretty much <sighs> yeah, two a turn. Right, because you have to do flurry of blows right. to kick it off in the first place. Hmm. Also, they get a strength saving throw for the push. Right. they fail, yeah. Right. But still, that's pretty neat. And Once then, again, it's yeah. one of those that yeah. if you get it off. And I, I think you're more likely to get them into a 20-foot radius sphere than a 5-foot cube. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Now, that's what level that, do you have to... Third. Third level, okay. What level do, do warlocks get third level spells? Is it yeah, fifth? Probably. Yeah, I mean, that would make sense, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. So you have to get to fifth level in warlock in order to pull this off and at least third level in monk. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it's pretty cool. I feel like at eighth level, I'd be happy with that. Yeah. So that's Definitely. it. Yeah. <laughs> so a uh, monk one level dip in the warlock could actually be pretty decent if you have the charisma. Okay. Because uh, you'll get hex. You'll get right. two hexes a day. Which adds a one d six to every every attack you do, and as we talked, monks get a lot of attacks. Even if they're not spending key, they're still at least getting three by the time they're fifth. Two attacks and then an unarmed. That would so that's an extra three d six, which is very nice. Mm-hmm. Um, then you know the the option of other utility spells if needed, and then they'll also get their first uh, patron thing. So like if they go the fiend, they'll get the temporary hit points if they reduce something to zero. Uh, the Archfey, they have the chance to charm or frighten things. Celestial. Uh, you can learn light and sacred flame cantrips. I don't know. But also you get Eldritch Blast for one level dip. Right. Of yeah. course, the Eldritch Blast. Right. thought there was another really good one that worked well for Monk. Great old one, the Awakened Mind. I'll telepathically speak to any creature you could see. Right. 30 feet. You know. One, that, one weird interaction that I was kind of wondering if it would be worth it. And I'm, I'm leaning towards No. If you go Pact of the Tome as the Warlock, you can choose, uh, I think it's like any three spells, basically. <laughs> or I think it's cantrips. That's a little bit of a stretch. It is. It's a bit of a stretch. I don't remember the specific It's a first spell. level thing. You just choose any <laughs> three yeah. spells. I'm sorry. I think it might actually be cantrips yeah, that you can choose. It's cantrips. Um, one of those cantrips can be shillelagh. I don't know if there's much benefit to that of like needing a bonus action to set this up, but then you can use your wisdom modifier. That seems a little bit. Or would it be charisma? It would be wisdom in that. Oh, oh, I because it's, it's you're getting it through a warlock. It's I have to it read this. Makes it your spell casting modifier. Yes. So if you got it as a warlock. So there would be like a yeah. way where you don't need to go Hexblade, but as we just discussed earlier, <laughs> this was you a, don't really this need was a strategy to. before they released the Hexblade was, oh, yeah, just shillelagh it up. Okay. I question why you would do that if you're also a monk. I and you also can only use the stick. Right, right, right. That would only work for your stick. Now, as I said, I I don't think that's a particularly great idea. I think that's more one to bring up. Of if you thought of that combination and think it sounds like a good idea, it's probably not. 
Let's go with that. <laughs> Thank you we'll, for clarifying. We'll call that a trap of this multi-class. Don't go back to the dome. Okay. Well, I mean, back to the dome as a whole isn't bad. That can be useful, but you probably don't want to go back to the dome just so you can get shillelagh. <laughs> no. Yeah, you get cantrips. I think a one-level okay, dip is actually a really, really short-sighted way to approach this because the warlock gets a shitload of cool things open up at second level. Yeah. And yeah. for the record, you only get one spell slot at first level. Right. Oh, which is, it's just first level. So once you go to second level, back to two, and then two forever. Two, literally forever until 11th level, you get a third spell. So, right. yeah, yeah, I mean, I feel like if you're going to go into Warlock, you're, you're right. I think there is something for just like a one dip. And I mean, then you just get a spell every short rest it's first level, so there's probably not too much. Honestly, what hex. you hex, yeah, yeah you yeah. get a, you get a hex per short rest. Honestly, that's that's pretty good, right? That's not like worth scoffing at, as well as whatever you get from your your first level dip into the fiend or great old one. So, right. I don't think it's bad, but you're right. I mean, most warlocks you want to go into at least third level on them, just so you can get two second level spells. That's such a power increase right away. You can't upcast hex though, correct? Well, it just lasts longer. Yeah. Okay. But it goes from like one minute to To eight hours to 24 hours. Yeah, like level three. And if you're getting it back on a short rest anyways. Yeah. I mean, it's still kind of worth it. But then you at least get the option of, okay, I don't want to cast Hex right now. You know, maybe I I want to cast something else. Blindness and deafness is something that you can get uh, if you go with a fiend. So that can be really nice. Scorching Ray, probably not so much. Uh, I think what I, I do really like about the Warlock dip, though, and this is kind of uh, unrelated, is that we've complained about the Sun Soul before, which is a monk that lets you just be a monk from 30 feet away, kind of, in mm-hmm. like really limited scenarios. I would rather have Eldritch Blast than have the Sun Souls Everyone. attacks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so one level dip, you get a really awesome ranged cantrip that yep. will scale with you which is the, I mean, the big crux of the monk is that yeah. you, you can't do anything at range right there your you plus go. hit's not gonna be the greatest because it's gonna be charisma but but it's, proficiency plus charisma but still not bad and it scales up by your level right, as a yeah. total so right. if you're level 11 as a whole you're getting three eldritch blasts right sure you're you're plus to hits only you know right plus two but yeah you weren't gonna get it anyways that's so. not good Okay, it should be higher than plus two, actually. It should be your charisma plus your proficiency. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> minimum at level 11 should be plus four. So it's not bad. No, not terrible. Yeah, uh, one hex per short rest, which decent as a monk. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, your first thing. But yeah, if you go to second level, though, that does really open it up with the second spell slot and then your Eldritch Invocations. This and then, is... like, the uh, Shadow Monk. I'm forgetting the exact. I think it's just Shadow Monk, man. Way, Way of, of Shadow. Shadow. Way of Shadow. Uh, combined with the invocation lets you see in magical darkness. Right, right. That's, okay. that's great. Yeah, so there's Devil Sight, which yeah, is... Yeah, Devil Sight, that's what it's called. Eldritch Invocation, or just the invocation. Is it an Eldritch Invocation? Eldritch Invocation, okay. yep. Um, so there's the Eldritch Invocation, Devil Sight, that allows you to see even in magical darkness. Yeah. And then Shadow Arts, which is the monk's third level thing. You can spend two key points to cast darkness as well as some other things, dark vision, pass without a train, right. silence. My own, So that's really cool because that combination is going to put something in darkness and then you can see you get advantage on all the attacks. They are basically screwed. Yeah. You no, know, they have actually, and everything. I think the tiefling gets wisdom and charisma as their ups and they can cast darkness for free. 
Oh, that'd there be you really go. Good so there. you know, if you want to be really like a special snowflake and roll a tiefling warlock, okay, buddy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> He's saying this having rolled two tiefling warlocks. Hey, man, it works. It works really well. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> but yeah, actually, that's a really great combination. Yeah, you get your free one, and then you can cast it with the warlock spell slots, and in addition to the key, so you have a lot of that. And then if you go to level six, monk way of the shadow, you get shadow stop, mm-hmm. so you get teleport into it. Yeah. And out of it and around it and stuff like that. Damn, that's pretty badass. Yeah. All with you being able to see perfectly well, everyone else in a completely blinded, so you have advantage in every attack, they have disadvantage in every attack. And monks get a lot of attacks, as we keep saying. Right. And once again, there's still there's always gonna be that yeah. stunning strike to just say, and also you're staying here. Yes. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess would give you the advantage anyways, but it's still just a fun combination. Yeah. Oh, small correction. You can't you can't necessarily just teleport into the darkness. You could teleport from dim or darkness to another spot of dim light or darkness. So if you're like out in a sunny sheep field and darkness over there, you can't just teleport into it. But you, you can teleport about your shadow. Yes. Thing. Yeah. Which, which is, is like cool. what, a fifteen foot radius or some shit? Darkness? Yeah. I think it might even be more than that. I would just Pulling always carry an umbrella. <laughs> I, it just seems so weird well, to so me. It's specifically it's not in a shadow, I know, and I know. it's specifically dim light or darkness, and there's rules about what constitutes dim light. What is that? Standing under an umbrella on a sunny day is not dim light. <sighs> what about like if you're standing under multiple umbrellas? Yeah, there maybe. You go. I've got an umbrella backpack that just yeah. has like basically a patio umbrella. Press a button, and it just like makes an awning come out. <laughs> oh, but you'd have to be an artificer to get that. Oh well, you can take a one level hit for that. <laughs> Oh, it's like one of the the modern day ones where it has the remote. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> that, that's speed, too. This like big white plastic contraption like shoots out and just. The way of the sunshade. <laughs> Three turns later, it's fully deployed. All right. You now have dim light for uh, and, uh, 10 feet. Yes, and your uh, speed is reduced to 10 feet and you have disadvantage in all deck saves. <laughs> The real play would be to set it up so you can just like stick it into the ground. You know what? This isn't worth talking about. Oh, Gust of Wind, you automatically fail your save to stay put. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. No fair. He gets a fly speed. <laughs> yeah, it is 15 foot radius. All right. That's pretty big. So you yeah. can, I mean, like if for some reason you were running low on movement for running around and punching all these people. <laughs> as a monk, you know. As a monk, as you, you know, <laughs> continuously run out of movement and being yeah. able to punch people. Yeah. Shadow Step, though, does take your bonus action, which kind of sucks as a monk. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's to set up for something better, you know, going forward. So it's... What's it's the okay. range on Shadow Step? 60 feet. Yep. That's not anything to scoff at. No. I just think that it's it's something that we've never actually dealt with. We had a Way of the Shadow Monk in the first campaign I played. Um, way, way back. Way, yeah. way back. And I don't remember how often that came up of like, is it dim we, light over here? Is it dark over here? Yeah, we did it wrong. We just did it generically as, is there a shadow? Okay. Which, so the answer came, is always yes. Yeah, so right. it, it came up all the time. Right. <laughs> Man... It just seems so weird to me, like how it's it's not a thing when I draw a battle map to think like, okay, so over here is dim light, over here it's complete darkness, just like right. by default. Um, but it, it can't matter. I mean, dim light giving disadvantage on finding and definitely, yeah. definitely. And I think it's something if you're like in a cave, then right. you know that the you know if three of you have dark vision and one of you is holding a torch, 
then it's like, all right, whoever's holding the torch, there it is. It's still only dim light, I think. Or is it make it bright lights for bright for a bit and then right. dim and then but that makes it easy to tell. Right. Um, but as you said, like out in a sunny field, you're never going to have this work out for you. Right. But I feel like you're in darkness more often than people really give give it. Um, like at night, if you're having a fight outside, right. the moon overhead shouldn't be enough for bright light no that should be dim yeah but if we ever have a fight at night do i give you know plus two ac to everybody for everything i don't think it works that way no because everyone has dark vision so i guess it doesn't come up no i don't because it just seems silly even if we didn't have dark vision is that how that works in what way i mean if if you're in dim light yeah it's i I think it's um you know what no it's like people are obscured yeah there's like lightly obscured obscured right obscured. I'm, I'm, obscured. i was thinking of half cover it doesn't provide cover or in, in the same metrics like half cover does it's not like a core mechanic why would we know this because <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm saying it doesn't come up it yeah no it doesn't up. and the, the reason it doesn't come up is because it's not important for like 90 percent of situations if you have like 99 percent of classes have dark vision <laughs> yeah and most of them don't teleport through shadows right there's a very small subset who do Where's the dim light band? It's like, shut up, man. I don't want to deal with that. Right. Reroll a way of the four elements or something. <laughs> oh, well, let's not punish them. <laughs> you shouldn't have spoke out of turn. I, I would say that that is one big benefit of like, they, you know, we've talked back and forth about you know, doing the TV on the table with the projected map and right. using like roll 20 or something like that. It's always, eh, it doesn't really seem worth it. I'm pretty sure I haven't used it, but I'm pretty sure roll 20 can and does track light and vision and all of that for you automatically. That's pretty cool. Which would be kind of nice. It would have been really useful in out of the abyss because I know I definitely screw that up all the time. Yeah. But yes, you did, Kevin. You did. Screw I did. Up. Yeah. But the worst. I remember just sitting there thinking, like, I shouldn't be able to see this well. <laughs> and he never brought it up. Yeah. Should have been a lot of dim light because you were you were dwarfing it up. But again, especially for a campaign like out of the abyss. When we were almost always in some form of darkness, I think everybody had dark vision because even Osimirs get dark vision for whatever reason. Um, I think it's because we cheesed it. Officially, dark vision does make darkness. No, no, what I'm saying is I think we cheesed it in the sense we all like subconsciously like, you know what? I really don't want to not be able to see in the dark for the cave campaign. Right. Right? (laughs) Oh, you're saying we selected things for that? Well, I mean, we'll never admit to it, but. I don't know. I wanted to play more a, a paladin Osimir, so that, that was its own form of. See, you're justifying it. You're justifying. Oh yeah, I'll justify it. I'll, I'll spend here just. All right. So here's an idea time. I just had that I I don't know. I might have yelled about this before, but we were talking about how like if you an artificer is an interesting multiclass if you want a thing and don't want to just force your DM to be like, all right, here's a mechanical thing that you have because of story reasons. I think Eldritch Invocations, there's a couple that are really good. It's like, all right, I want to be, you know, a tiefling who never sleeps. How do you do that? Right. The DM can just give it to you. Right. But it's also an invocation. And it seems like kind of a waste if you, like, forego mechanical invocations. But it's great flavor, and especially if you're doing a monk dip and just really are looking for that shadow thing, for instance. Right. Yeah, you can go aspect of the moon and be like, oh, yeah, I don't sleep. Or I can read all writing or I can read any written text or I can speak with animals. Exactly. <laughs> there's, I mean, there's multiple ways to get there, but there's right. some unique things in there. And I think never sleeping actually does make a uh, good monk flavor. It does. Right. I, w- I think this is one of the uh, times where I 
wouldn't suggest taking the invocation of Agonizing Blast to add your Charisma modifier to damage from your Eldritch Blast because you're probably not using Eldritch Blast that much right. and your Charisma is probably not high enough to really matter. Right. You know, it's like the couple of times you do it and it actually hits, you're going to get an additional two damage. Right. Four and that's damage, if you take maybe. it up to 14. Right. So, I mean... And you just keep it at the prerequisite 13. It's plus one. Right. It's, Which I always recommend at least going to 14. But that's besides the point. Sometimes um, you can't swing it. Sometimes you can't. And in this case, you know, it's like Eldritch Blast should be your... Like, oh no, I'm not going to get far enough unless I use a key point to Step of the Wind. And I don't want to do that this turn. So, I'm just going to take, you know, my Eldritch Blast. And maybe I hit, maybe I don't. It's not the end of the world. Right. Um, so, I, I would highly highly suggest not going for the the usual two of armor of shadows or agonizing blast you know just move around that i guess armor of shadows how often will since you're the warlock expert how often do you think people take armor of shadows that's one where you can cast mage armor on yourself there was a poll actually where they asked people like what invocations do you take i don't remember the exact oh man but i mean it's not that great i mean you get light armor as a warlock yeah, yeah. So as long as you can get a light armor that gets you up to third or that, uh, you know, base 13, which I think padded leather does. There's there's definitely one light armor that goes up to 13 AC. Um, then from there, it's like, why did I bother with this invocation? Yeah, that's the issue. And with uh, with warlocks being, you know, very, very single attribute dependent, everybody always maxes out decks after they're done with charisma. Right universally they're gonna find that so if you wanted to avoid that that's the only reason but i mean eh. Uh. so yeah again you get you can choose a lot of the other cool invocations i assume having mage armor up does not count against you for all your monk stuff because that could be a benefit like if your wisdom and decks aren't crazy high and so you don't want to wear armor because then you don't get in martial arts and all the other monk crap that's actually a really good you just question. Use mage Willing armor. creature who isn't wearing armor. Yeah, and you're not wearing armor with mage armor. That's, so. that's the mechanic. I mean, that's not actually a bad idea for this one. No, that's not at all. That's a really good point. I'm looking at mage armor right now. Isn't wearing armor. Magical force protects them. They are not considered wearing armor. It specifically says if they wear armor, then it removes mage armor. Right. That's actually a very good point. Huh. We might need to go back through our... Uh, I think we had a wizard monk one. Did we do that multi-class yet? I don't know, man. It doesn't probably, matter. Probably, probably not. Doesn't matter. Well, either way, just that's that's good. Keep that in mind. So that's wisdom you don't have to worry about. Because I think that's really the big thing for monks um, with their wisdom beyond their saving throws. So stunning strike saving throw relies on wisdom to to raise that DC. Right. So you're still going to want wisdom, but that makes you less reliant on it hmm. potentially. You know, it, it, looking at it just pure math wise, we're talking about 10 plus decks plus whiz versus 13 plus decks. That's competing with plus three whiz, like on par. So we're talking about four and five whiz is where it changes. Mm-hmm. You keep saying whiz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> whiz. Instead of charisma, I'm going to say cha. Cha. Cha, cha, cha. <laughs> <laughs> So, we are talking about pretty high-level whiz. So, I mean, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's even funnier when you say yeah. it like that. So much whiz. When you say silver, like, <laughs> it's like just... Like 20 whiz? Unbelievable amounts of whiz. <laughs> the sheer amount of time it would take to produce that whiz. <laughs> Blowing my mind right now. 
shouldn't be funny. It really shouldn't be. <laughs> but it is. Podcast uh, for children. <laughs> All right. So let me make sure I'm following that. So you're saying that uh, until you get to those higher levels of whiz, uh, it's probably better to go with the mage armor. Yeah. yeah. I mean, universally. Right. Okay. So, I mean, that makes sense. And you can always switch out your invocations. Yes, you can. Which is, is good, too. But you have to level up again. At, is it level up in Warlock, too? So if you're like, oh, I'm done with Warlock, never switching. It's like, well, you can't change your invocations. You're stuck with Mage Shit, I decided to max out my wisdom. Guess I have to go take another level in Warlock. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that's actually a decent decent choice if you want to kind of abandon it. You don't really get anything from wisdom as a monk other than that. Again, just the, the spell save DCs. Or not right. Save, like, I mean, if you go away the four elements, it's going to come a lot, come up a lot because <laughs> you've got bigger problems. <laughs> but yeah, it's I don't think it's good for this. Nope, I'm with Seems you. like a big waste. Um, the drunken master, like they get a lot of maneuverability stuff, which could be useful for like the hex blade, like tipsy sway. Yeah, drunken technique and tipsy sway. You know, if you do flurry blows, you can you come under the benefit of the disengage action. Tipsy sway, you know, if you're prone, you can leap to your feet or you can redirect attacks. And for any martial character, that's useful stuff. Yeah. And so a hexblade will find use out of it. I don't know if it's worth the three monk levels because you're kind of wasting a lot of other stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it almost go like two in the rogue and just get cunning action. Yeah, that's always been the competing one for me. Rogue and seems like you don't a have to worry about choice. wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like Step of the Wind, again, for like Hexblade, it's going to be nice, but maybe just go Rogue. It's I hate how it's just universally better. They both yeah. get cunning actions and their key at second level, and monks have to spend a resource to do what rogues do for free every single turn. Right, and on top of it, at that point, rogues get their sneak attack right. and expertise. Right, and they can wear armor. Sneak yeah. attack and actually were... doesn't pair well with the most of the warlocks, so you know it's only the Hexblade thing. Yeah, yeah, for so, sure. Yeah, Hexblade only, yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, that being said, if you're like the Fiend, Warlock of the Fiend, and you pick um, Pact, the boon is the blade. Blade, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. Um, I mean, that still could be a melee one. You can still get your extra attack level five with invocations, I'm pretty sure. Or is that six? Yes, so, I mean, that is yeah, a, yeah. Yeah, a lot of the Warlock patrons are not necessarily caster only, depending on what boon you pick. You just have to remember that there are not a lot of benefits that you get out of your packed boon. And you forego having a closet, which is dope. That's true. Closet's always nice. It's an invisible bat you can use at any time. That's awesome. That I'm pretty sure you can communicate with the right invocation. I think like always just have like a telepathic link with them. Yeah, it's the same plane of existence. It's just upcast, find familiar times a million. Right. I don't know. So, I mean, what what are some other, I guess, more on the role-playing side? We've talked a lot about mechanics, but I think you you mentioned Way of the Shadow. That definitely works well role-playing-wise just because of the, always say just edge on top of edge. Right. (laughs) Where the Warlocks, Dark and Brooding, Way of the Shadow, Dark and Brooding, perfect. You also like shadows. (laughs) You like shadows. You like shadows. You should be friends. Great. Multi-class made in heaven. Yeah. Yeah. The other one that I was thinking of that actually goes against what I was saying earlier where a monk is like thirsting for more power that I would absolutely hate if somebody brought, but is a celestial warlock. Uh, It actually could work very well with a monk 
in that idea of like you are trying to meet the purity of body ideals and because of that celestials almost accept you into their own it's okay. a, a strong way of putting it but like they recognize yeah. the potential in you and so they offer you a deal of hey if you work for us we'll give you eldritch blast and <laughs> a couple of healing and whatever <laughs> That's turning it into a mechanical thing, but yeah. I mean, it's, um, it fits. I mean, cleric would almost be, but I, I agree. Yeah. I think cleric would be a little bit more fitting, but that's that being said though, I mean, a cleric is like a God and you've right. been under service of a God where the celestial is just like celestial entity. It's the opposite like of unicorns deal and with shit. So yeah. So yeah, that's like, I could see, yeah, like a unicorn going, you know what? You're kind of a cool monk, dude. Here's some, <laughs> here's some powers. If you like keep on that path first. Whoa, like, dude, did you just do a backflip? <laughs> I fucking love backflips. <laughs> okay. So that's for a more silly campaign, but I would also love to play that character. The one who's just got like a, a unicorn who just thinks everything he does is dope. <laughs> you just punched that dude and his just fucking spleen fell out. And he flew like 15 feet backwards. Whoa. <laughs> I know, cool. I'm a horse with a horn. <laughs> Unicorn is one of the listed. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You're not wrong. yeah, yeah. Um, um, or kind of the opposite of the first one you said about where they get sort of corrupted. It's someone who's a warlock who is feeling this corruption in themselves and losing control and not liking it. So they start studying with monks to try and harness inner peace of right. it and kind of get themselves under control. Mm hmm remove that element of chaos right the rejection element I, I always like those ones i think that's that's something that can very well come up naturally and i feel like every person who goes into warlock should have that in the back of their mind of just like all right so when i get out of this what am i going to do because okay, buddy if your dm is doing their job at some okay maybe not maybe not but because i know for you you're like ah it ends when i take over the world uh, but for most people, they're trying to play a good character or a character who's overcoming something and using that warlock patron as the the thing to overcome means that afterwards, if you're still going to adventure, you need to probably go into something else. It's going to be weird to keep going into warlock. Right. Um, so monks would be an absolutely perfect one. Either you have a monk in your party already, in which case you're probably losing out on a lot by going into monk as well. Maybe. I don't know how that would look. But, you know, it gives you a, a direction to go. Right. Or, or there's a time skip and you spend some time studying with monks. Right. Either way, could be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's a lot of really cool ways you could take this. Just be creative with it because both of these classes are ones that require a deliberate choice on the character. Yeah. It's not something that's just going to happen to them. Generally. Generally, generally. I wasn't going to say, maybe like the great old one might that might accidentally happen to you because like you get right. touched by it on, you know. You open you, up a book. And yeah, then you go, go a little mad, yeah. Uh, the other, other than that, yeah. Other thing I was thinking is um, Shadow Monk and Celestial Warlock. Nothing besides it just would be kind of funny as like this great balancer. And especially because they're both kind of the inverse of what you expect from the class. Okay. Where Monk is like the lawful kind of good type. So you put the Shadow uh, Monk, whereas the Celestial Warlock's like the opposite of the normal Warlocks you see. Yeah. I, see, I, I don't see that for the Monk. For the Celestial, absolutely. That's the opposite of what you expect right. out of a Warlock. Right. Monk, though, I, I don't so much see that. Like the Shadow, I mean, the Shadow Monk could still be lawful. Right. It's It edges towards the ninja aspect of it. Right. And that's fair. It, it, maybe it's, uh, you know, the Assassin Shadow Monk. Right. Because that's, that's where you're getting like the, the ninja aspect from. 
I don't have much more beyond that they're opposites, and I like opposites because <laughs> uh, you know you could do Yingy something with stuff, it, yeah. right? Um, yeah, but no, you're right. It's not like I think all shadow monks are like some corrupt, underhanded blah. blah. They're not rogues, you know. They're they're shadow monks. They are dedicated to something usually lawful, honestly. Murder, lawful murder. <laughs> that's, my, that's my character alignment. <laughs> Whoa, so you're a murderer? Uh, 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 a lawful murderer. Technically, murder is illegal killing, so that doesn't really work. That's the irony. There we go. That's perfect. There you go. Lawful murder. Light and dark. <laughs> um, and of course, Sun Soul would kind of go well with Celestial Warlock flavor-wise, but Why? you end up having to go into Sun Soul. Right. Um, so that's... <laughs> Where I'll stop with that one. I can spend resources <laughs> to do something worse than Eldridge Blast. Right. <laughs> God, buddy. I guess the benefit is you can still use your bonus action to make a flurry of blows. Right? If, if you do the Sun Soul. I can. Yeah, I, I'm not saying it's a good idea. It's then why did you go Warlock? You know, yeah, exactly. This, yeah. I don't know. I I only really like the Karate Master and the Shadow Guy. Karate Master and Shadow Guy, that's it? Those are the only two subclasses I like for combining with Warlock. I think Way of the Open Hand. Or is that what you're saying? For yeah, Karate Guy. Okay, okay, that's Karate Guy. <laughs> Sorry, I misunderstood, obviously. Yeah, um, the rest are just kind of, I don't know, they don't really fit. Drunken Master I don't mind because, you know, it doesn't have to be a drunk. Um, and it can be, as I said earlier, somebody who's on that path of perfection Way of the Four Elements just sucks, but I don't have an issue with it in the same deal of flavor-wise. Oh, but you get spellcast. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> you get really bad spellcasting. It's kind of like Warlocks, but Warlocks get really good spellcasting. Yeah. Yeah. We haven't talked about Way of the Long Death too much. No, it's, it's not and very good. I, and I just mean that as like a whole, as a podcast. Right. We haven't talked about Way of the Long Death Seems too much. Seems like most of the Sword Coast Adventure Guide ones just kind of got lost. They just fell flat. Yeah, except them, for Bladesinger. Right. For the okay. wizards, that comes up a lot. But those, those can only be elves. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, Kensai was mentioned as it could probably go yeah, with, with Hexblade. Yeah, I don't see why not. Again, you're kind of losing out on some stuff, uh, at least <clears throat> the fact that you can... You're also can fucking up the charisma. flavor, in my opinion. Because the Kensai is like, oh, look at all these weapons I can use. It's like a ninja, uh, but yeah. he's got like 900 knives in his tiny robe. Right. And they're like looking at him. And just like, whoa, look at all these weapons I'm proficient in. Whereas the Hexblade is like, this is a magical sword that I'm good at using because it's magic. It's like the opposite right. direction. And I can only use this one mic. Or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's a bard now, I guess. I like lamps. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think you just get much out yeah. of that, personally. You got anything, Kevin? No. I'm no, I think that's it. Out. I do think that, you know, overall, though, this is, uh, there's something. I don't know. I think initially when I when I saw we rolled this one up, I was pretty like, oh, it's going to suck. Because all monk ones suck. But you can do something with this yeah. in, in both aspects. And I still really like that stunning strike in the, the arms of Hadar. Thing. Yeah. That's, that's good. Is it Arms of Hadar? Grasp of Hadar? There's Arms of Hadar. Hunger of Hadar. I will say that I'm like, continue- I am once again disappointed that the get devil sight 
cast darkness, drag creatures <laughs> into said darkness right. and beat the hell out of them is still just like a prevailing mechanic right. for any combination. It's just so strong. I mean, it's hard to, to get around it at all. Yeah. I mean, it's a great strategy and I'll never look down on it, but it's just got a dominance I don't appreciate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is bad for the rest of your party, though. Well, True. Fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> they should have rolled Warlock, too. Everybody go has to do at least two into Warlock and get uh, Devil Sight. Yeah, no, that's the, that's a great idea. It's like everyone's giving me shit for not having Dark Vision in the party. Do the opposite. Only like, oh, you guys should be Warlocks. Yeah. Right? It was great, and you get Devil Sight. Right. Not my fault you can't see in that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think overall, though, the, the only thing is you are going to hit the standard multi-class issues, which is you're not going to have the highest ability scores of anybody in your party. No. Uh, you're probably going to be pretty weak in that regard. But I'll always bring up that ability scores aren't as important as they seem if you can do a lot of really cool stuff just outside right. of that. Like even looking at uh, Embers, your your current rogue paladin that relies on strength, dex, and charisma. I don't know what his dex is right now, but we're level... 18. Okay, so it's 18. It's not at that 20. And I don't think I've ever once thought that you're falling behind because your ASIs are a little bit lower. No, or your, yeah. your ability Abilities, scores. Right. You know, it just doesn't really come up that much it's again it's a five percent difference per asi so if your dex is hitting 70 percent of the time it's still hitting 70 percent of the time and then you can do all the cool stuff that you do right you're not going to notice too often when you rolled a 14 and you needed a 15 it just doesn't come up so right i to anybody who's i guess weary about that fuck it right (laughs) (laughs) But that's all I have for the, the Monk Warlock. Do it. Yes, do it. Just do it. Oh, we can't say that. Gotta cut that. All right, so now for our promotional minute or whatever amount of time. This week's episode is sponsored by Smuggler's Coffee. They have provided us with a bag of coffee to give away to a listener. Uh, so head on over to our Twitter, normal Twitter rules of giveaways you know like follow retweet uh sacrifice your firstborn uh and you can win a bag of coffee i have had some of their coffee recently because they sent me some as well and it's uh extremely tasty and it's D themed so it makes me happy and more importantly supporting small businesses and such feels good so stop buying starbucks coffee that's the right pedestal to get on right now uh <laughs> <laughs> as for us uh, as usual, if you are not, follow us on Twitter. That is monsters underscore multi. Uh, find our subreddit, which is r monsters and multi class. Uh, we recently started a Patreon, so if you want to contribute to us and throw money at us, so we keep getting better at it and better equipment and actually pay our hosting fees and things like that, uh, you can help us out there. Links literally everywhere. Uh, so, yeah, um, I think that's it. Anything from you guys you want to say? Nope. Nope. Why do I get stuck with this stuff? Because you're better at it. I'm better at it? I'm a fumbling mess. <laughs> the, amount just... of, the amount of ums and uhs I have to cut out in editing is insane during these. <laughs> you know, when, you're, when we're just talking naturally, not a lot of them when it comes to the, not scripted, but somewhat scripted bits. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got to like buckle in. It's all right. Really pay attention here. <laughs> Sorry. If you hey. gave me push to talk. Just like right here. I just like <laughs> would cut out my own ums. That'd be useful. We should try that. 
Anyways, uh, with that, let's get into the orcs. So this episode, we are going to take a deep dive into the orcs. Uh, so everybody has probably fought an orc in D&D. Uh, it's similar to the, the goblin type setup where it's just something that needs to be dealt with, usually from a low level party. Uh, but with Volo's Guide to Monsters, the orc lore in 5th edition at least has now quadrupled uh, and is pretty dense and allows you to change up how you use orcs and put them into your campaign in a bunch of different interesting ways and, and really flesh out uh, what makes orcs motivations and everything. So I don't even know where to start with this. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. How about this? Um, if you are familiar with orc lore at all, then you're familiar with Groomsh. Uh, he is the god of, well, I guess all of the orcs, but an embodiment of their chaos and what drives them to go out and pillage and raid and just war. And that all started because orcs didn't have a home. Uh, as all of the gods are were, were picking places for their people, elves got over here in the pretty forest, humans took over here, dwarves took the mountains, and then orcs were just left sitting there going, hey, what do we get? And they're like, ha, nothing, you dumb orc. Uh, and so then he killed somebody. Uh, <laughs> Groomsh got very mad and got well, into a fight. Anyone, yeah. He didn't. He got into a, a war with the elven god. Uh, right. And from that, I believe he had his eye yes. taken out. And because of that, orcs hate elves. Uh, and a lot of that comes up through all of orc history, where they just will destroy anything elf-related throughout their pillaging. But they do have a bunch of other gods uh, that drive them in different ways. Uh, and that part is what was really new to, to me as a whole. I don't know where to start. Where do you guys want to come in? <laughs> That's I mean, there's, so, yeah, there's a whole pantheon of gods of the orcs where Groomsh is the patron god who kind of whispers in all of the orcs' ears and drives their bloodlust and fury as they go out. But yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch here. So yeah, Groomsh is the patron. Then you have Ilnavel, the war maker. And there's different within the clans uh, with the tribe of the orc. There's different kind of clans of different orcs worshiping different gods that was one of the first thing that yeah. was really interesting to me was the fact that in just a particular tribe it's not like each tribe is dedicated to one particular god they all recognize groomsh as like kind of the the big one right um, but you know there there are different i guess followers within the tribe right, that, that specialize more right. so like ilnavel is the strategist and I'm, we're probably we've got to butcher a lot of these but Bear with us. That's the strategist works, orcs, works, orcs <laughs> that follow Ilnavel are yeah the strategists. Um, often they're the tribe chief and stuff like that. Then you have Bakhtru, who is that's really where the the kind of physical might and ruthlessness comes in. The followers of Bakhtru are usually the younger ones looking to prove themselves. They're like the meat of a force. It's saying generally if. Um, Anybody's running into orcs like out in the field pillaging, they're probably followers of Bakstrom. Then you have uh, Luthic, which is actually Gr Groomsh's wife, right? I mean, yep. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That one's Groomsh's wife, who is the one that's responsible for the orcs to breed and continue to grow. The followers of Luthic are like she's the cave mother. 
They are usually staying back, not going out and fighting. They're raising the uh, the well. I think they call them whelplings, the, right. the baby orcs, essentially. And without Luthic, orcs would probably die out because they don't actually have a strong desire need within themselves to breed and procreate. They kind of see it as just today almost like a frustrating necessity. Right. They're like, yeah, if we don't do this, Luthic's going to get mad and we're going to die out. (laughs) We will pair up, have orc babies and move on. And other than that, the men and the women are pretty much different to each other. Mm -hmm. Another, that really interesting thing, it kind of goes against a really common lore thing. And we won't dive too much into this, but you hear a lot, a lot of people like to go to St. Orcs rape other races. And that's where half orcs come along. And it's kind of really terrible thing, obviously. And this is saying that's actually not, how it works according to official lore here right they don't any like half orcs are like usually they respect the strength of another person or another or they're cunning yeah or something like that and they agree to procreate with each other to produce these half orcs to benefit both the tribe as themselves right and generally like barbarian tribes like right that was part of the lore of barbarians for instance is there are people who live outside of civilization and if you have nothing to pillage, the orc doesn't care. So it's basically they live in very similar ways. Mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's definitely a way that people might be misusing orcs to a, a large extent. Right. Yeah. Definitely. And it's one of those things you got to be. You know, we don't do that in our campaign. No. <laughs> it's, it's a hard stop on anything like that. I think most campaigns are like that. And as they should be. And it's kind of nice where it's, it's, it's not the official lore of orcs. Right. And I don't know if that's changed or the original, but whatever then you get into the two other gods where they're creepy yeah they, you, <laughs> they're these are the ones where like you don't really think about them with orcs but uh Eutrus, the white hand is the a god of um disease and petulance usually the weaker orcs end up as followers of Eutrus if they're not killed outright they're like the shamans, the traffickers of the dead. They kind of fill that role. They're usually very much shunned and live on the outskirts of the orc tribe and society. And they do some really the the I think yeah the chosen of Eutrus, where if a orc suffers from a gruesome disease, they'll the people the orcs of Eutrus will take them in and develop that disease while keeping the orc alive, so they become this just basically like a plague bomb mm-hmm. and then they just send them in first into like these encampments and civilizations to spread their plague right yeah yeah i think there's so much that you can do with that i mean right. if you're just a a party wandering along and you have a a plague bomb charging towards <laughs> you um that's going to be a, a quick decision that you need to make that yes. is just going to be awesome right now mechanically there there is a, a stat block for uh these and some really really gruesome art and some gruesome art it kind of looks like a it reminds me of a boomer from left for dead yeah that's that same kind of concept mechanically speaking though it's something that isn't that big of a deal for a party to to just have happen to them you basically get poisoned and then you can just keep making saves to get rid of the poison uh which is a little bit of a bummer but at the same time if you're if your combat is starting off with this thing just running up to you and exploding Mm -hmm. um one super cool very cool (laughs) (laughs) two if half the party is now poisoned and has disadvantage on everything and maybe they keep failing those saves because sometimes the dice just aren't in your favor uh that's a very unique fight that you're you're not normally going to have recently even i had um 
orcs attack you all. It was just like a random encounter or something. To think of how that would have felt a lot more memorable if I started it off with one of these things charging at you and then just exploding its guts right. all over you. That's that's a very different fight. For sure. And it's also then a simple homebrew to make it a bigger deal where it's not just poisoned. Right. And like it will carry some actual disease that yeah. you make up. That, that now becomes a thing the party has to deal with. Very much so. And then the last one is uh, Shargas, the Night Lord. I'm probably butchering all these. These are the... I think you're killing it. If we got Magubliet down, I think we're, right. we're doing all right. these. Yeah. These are the the sneaky orcs, the underhanded ones, the ones that pull strings behind the scenes and go and assassinate key figures and stuff like that. They are also shunned from the main orc tribe because that's that sort of underhanded nature is seen as disrespectful, dishonorable, because orcs are supposed to be just... Their sheer might and ferocity should overcome any problem. So when they need... To resort to these tactics, it's considered shameful, but to keep them around because that's kind of a necessity. Also because they they have this culling the weak, which is their entire thing is if an orc's just not living up to expectations, then, uh, you know, the other orcs might come around and say, hey, uh, hey, Shargas people, um, you know, Jim over here has been slacking the past couple of weeks. <laughs> Would you guys, you know, take care of him? And they'll just come in the night and just assassinate these, right these orcs because yeah you're not living up to our standards sorry uh which is definitely interesting i could see that being an entire plot point maybe a, you find an orc on the run because they've been uh targeted and, and tagged as, as one of these underperforming orcs right <laughs> that's I, like an incredible act of charity it's like oh we're gonna help this chaotic evil orc who's also a lazy do nothing <laughs> well okay this is jumping ahead a little bit but uh if you look at the the role-playing and orc section in volo's guide to monsters the orc flaws are absolutely hilarious because they are not what we would generally consider flaws i understand the value of civilization and the order that society brings that is considered a flaw <laughs> in orc society <laughs> I disagree with it. <laughs> <laughs> I have a calm temperament, and I let insults roll off my back. <laughs> so maybe the it, that actually might be easier because, as the orcs say, like, "Hey, this this orc doesn't doesn't fall in line with our views, with our cultural views," uh, and they come running out. The party finds them, and it's like, "Why are they trying to kill you?" And it's like, "Well, I don't fear the gods, and I have no patience for superstitions." <laughs> like, oh, okay, that's okay, that's fine. It's cool. All right. You're like totally normal. Um, so that's good because then you get right. some party conflict of like, but they're an orc. We can't just let them, you know, spread their cringy atheism. <laughs> <laughs> Shushar all over again from, from out of the abyss. Uh, but no, no, because the orcs, when it's saying I don't fear the gods, it's specifically saying the orc gods, because that's a very big thing in orc right. culture is that you are you don't follow your gods, you fear them being mad at you for not doing what they tell you to do. Uh, so that's saying maybe they are that they're doing that in a way of they're they're too strong for that. They're like, oh, I'm stronger than the gods. I don't care. Right. Um, in which case, maybe they're going to murder you anyways. But <laughs> it's cool. And say that gives you something to then relate to them. You say, oh, we also don't think that orcs should, uh, you know, just fearlessly charge into battle and die. It's one of these flaws is I believe in living to fight another day. <laughs> 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 so all of these again just make really good for uh you know they, what they consider flaws might be some the party can actually agree with and find reason to protect them right and, and the part about 
fearing the gods as a kind of segues into a really major thing of orc society. So we start with the gods because the gods are such a major part and pretty much all of the stat blocks and volos are the followers of each individual god and we'll dive into those later and as jared said they they very much do fear the gods it's not a reverence it's not a respect it is a fear that they do this stuff and they're extremely superstitious trying to look into meaning of all sorts of little symbols and stuff like that where every individual tribe has these little superstitions built up where there's an example bunch of examples of them in here but it's like saying saying seeing three crows in the morning is always good luck if you bury five stones before going on a long journey you'll always find your way home safely i wish stuff that was like true. that that'd be nice i'm yeah. sure they wish it was true too yeah because <laughs> i think that's the kicker it's and, all bullshit yeah and this superstition and fear of gods can be used to manipulate them a powerful like wizard with illusions and stuff like that could craft things in a way to be able to push these orc tribes to do its bidding based on these symbols but they, you know they're just illusions so they're, they're very can be very easy to manipulate mm-hmm. and so that's how you could find orcs under the kind of employ of all these different things yeah which again another great way to use them and i'm really happy with the additions to volo's guide to monsters of course because every single one in here just like expands upon pre-given lore that in the monster manual kind of fell flat but all of the stat blocks for these things are pretty darn cool right i'm thinking since this is part one maybe we'll just focus on the monster manual ones and then we could do the stat blocks in part two next episode of uh, volos sounds good to me uh still more on lore and the orc way of life another another aspect that i never really consider with orcs that's makes it interesting is i I think even in talking about him here i use the term bloodlust it's not so much bloodlust. It's it's more they like to go out and pillage and take treasure and booty and take it home and kind of grow their wealth. So it's, it's saying if they attack like humans or halflings, they will actually oftentimes leave a lot of them alive. And any anyone that could pose a threat, they kill. But then they'll leave most of these uh, villages or whatever alive because it means if they're left alive, they could just go back and pillage them again. It's a right. recurring thing. Right. Uh, then like with dwarves, they actually really covet their dwellings. And so they would almost rather just the dwarves just run away. They don't, right. they don't want to fight them. They just want them to run away and steal their houses. And that's where they're going to live. And more than anything, it's like they, they respect the dwarves. They're right. Like, wow, they made a really, really nice house. Get out. Right. <laughs> yeah, they have really no desire to kill them. They will. I mean, mm-hmm. if they're not giving up their home, which right. probably happens a lot, they right. will kill them. But it's not out of a bloodlust. Um, where I think that's a lot of times how it's played, where they just like orcs enjoy killing and that's what orcs do. And that's mm-hmm. more in the line of, I would say, gnolls. Yes. Gnolls fill that slot. Right. They're not just yeah. pure chaotic evil. Um, though they are chaotic well, they, evil. They, they are. Yeah, they are officially <laughs> chaotic evil. But I guess if they're, you know, if you were looking at an alignment scale, gnolls are all the way down it as just right. pure chaos and pure evil. Where orcs are like, yeah, I mean, that's what we do. But like, you know, we also are, are not just dumb. Right. <laughs> and then when you're talking about like they'll they'll breed with non-orcs to produce half-orcs and stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's showing that at least some restraint and they will stop and talk and get to know somebody that's not an orc. Right. For the sake of that. Elves are the one exception. They will slaughter elves mercilessly. All elves, no matter what. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) No, and they will not 
keep their homes or anything. They will usually desecrate their mm-hmm. lands. And even if they come across like elven runes that haven't been used in a long time, they will destroy them and desecrate them and make it completely unusable for any future people that show up. <laughs> solid move. Solid move. Yeah, so remember that for all encounters with your party. Just ruined it if there's a single, even half elf. Yeah. <laughs> well, that actually does make sense. Though. I mean, it's a, a different way to, to role play it where a lot of times as the DM, you're like thinking like, okay, well, how do I make this fight interesting? And also, you know, make sure that like, you know, I'm not just focusing the wizard because it just makes sense to focus the wizard. So of course the orcs are going to or whatever. But, you know, if there's an elf in the party, it's like orcs are going to focus them and you have a good reason as to why. And maybe they're shouting things in between turns and whatnot to just really ramp up the fact that they're hating elves. <laughs> it could be fun. You know, that's always fun to hate elves, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. And then, you know, maybe it makes the, the elf feel uh, compelled to hate orcs or maybe they're, it's a, a character thing. And now they have to kind of think about, well, why do orcs hate us? And it's like, Oh, right. There's like kind of a lot of bad history and bad blood. And, you know, up to the character, how they want to take that. But it, it provides an interesting conflict for them, both uh, in the fact that they have orcs surrounding them and it's only going for them. And there's like 10 of these things. Um, but also in the fact that after the fight, after they've slaughtered all of these orcs, because they will, <laughs> uh, they then have to sit there and think like, huh, maybe we weren't so different. <laughs> we weren't so different after all. <laughs> Normal orcs, though, if we, if we want to look Jump at the stat the, yeah. block, really nothing too impressive by themselves. But if you are having a fight where there's just one orc, uh, you're you're not doing it right. Uh, the whole point of these things is that they are supposed to be high in numbers and high in aggression. Uh, right. And they just have the shock troopers is actually the word used a lot. Uh, is that here's, you know, 20 or so that we're just going to send in if they live great, but most of them probably won't. And then we'll bring in the big guns afterwards. Uh, so the standard orc stat block really should be that shock trooper type, which they have half challenge rating, nothing crazy, uh, 13 AC, 15 hit points. And most of their uh, stats really go into the uh, physical attributes of Plus three strength, plus one dex, plus three con, minus two int, zero whiz, zero charisma. Um, skills, plus two intimidation, which, yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Right. They have dark vision, just like everything else. Uh, and then for their actions, they have a great axe, which is great. I love having orcs just because I get to roll a lot of D12s. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, and they do, you know, one D 12 plus three slashing damage with plus five to hit. And then they have a range attack with their javelin. Um, what makes them interesting though, is they have this aggressive feature that they can use as a bonus action, which lets them move up to their speed towards a hostile creature that they can see. And that one's always fun because I feel like it does a good job of getting across just their, their ferociousness. Right. Uh, when you like move them, you know, 30 feet and everyone's like, oh, OK, you know, there's a little bit until they're closer to us. And then they just move another 30 feet in and they're already surrounding around the entire party. Right. It's like, oh, and my God, attack, especially dash with a bonus action. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so I, I always really like that. Yeah. So, yeah, by, by themselves, not all that impressive. One thing, though, even like a group of them versus, you know, they're they're challenge rating one half. So two of them. Is kind of like a medium, probably not too hard encounter for four level ones, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's they're not really that crazy when compared to a PC, but 
with, with stuff like this, like orcs and, you know, goblins and gnolls and kobolds, you always need to compare it to commoners because that's where the lore and the fear comes from. Right. A typical standard run-of-the-mill orc versus a typical standard run-of-the-mill human commoner, the orc will absolutely decimate the commoner. There, there is no no chance. Right. No. 100%. Aren't commoners really? like challenge rating zero or something? Yeah. Yes. And yeah. they have, like, I think 10 hit points. Something like that. So they might survive right. two attacks from a single orc. Like, in a, a one-on-one, I'm putting my money on an orc every right. time. Absolutely. Because they just come up with the great axe. And, I mean, 1d12 plus 3, pretty high chance. There's a, a 70% chance that if that hits, it's going to be a one-hit kill. Cleave them in half. Yeah. <laughs> and again, you know, the idea of these coming into a village uh, and just absolutely ransacking and they are very particular about who they leave where they ignore elderly they ignore children uh they're just going after the strong able-bodied men and women and right it's like that might pose a threat to them right and like that's the stuff that that really strikes terror into the heart because now the only people left to tell the tales are sad children sad orphans and old people who have seen this way too many times right so a, a legend definitely grows around it. And I could see, you know, a village being basically just constantly in fear of that orc attack. And this is the the classic setup that I've overused. But you walk into a village and people are like, oh, my God, people who are strong, please help us. And right. then immediately help us from it. what? Orcs. Not again. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, Kavanaugh only has four hit points. <laughs> oh, OK. So it is actually guaranteed if they hit that that's a one hit kill. Yeah. They have plus three. Yeah. Ten in all stats. Ten armor class. Four hit points. Mm. Yeah. Passive perception of 10 as well. Ooh. Yeah. Anything else that's not 10? <laughs> I feel like they're basically 30 feet. That. Okay. <laughs> the next up is the Orc War Chief. Uh, so this is for when your party is now probably level two uh, and fighting a couple of these things. Though, really, I think a level one party against like five or six orcs. You're actually really that's getting close. Fight. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a pretty hard fight. Right. Low, I mean, doing anything at level one is just right. But shoot. specifically the fact that they have one d twelve with their great axe, right? Very swingy. Yeah, and it's not like they're just going to run away because you try running. Yeah, that's that's enough to take out an entire what level one health pool. Exactly yeah. on accident multiple times. A wizard might even you know like one hit. One crit down. and it's over. One crit and they're literally dead. Dead, yeah. I'm so glad I just finished my wizard. It's like, oh, you got crit by an orc. <laughs> oh, two twelves. <laughs> oh! Do you have 27 health? You don't have 27 health? Give me the health? sheet. Give me the sheet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What a good ritual. Every time a character dies, I take the sheet and I rip it up. Oh, <laughs> uh, we should do that with the tablets now. <laughs> <laughs> Crack. <laughs> It's gotten a lot harder with D&D Beyond, but luckily I've got a mallet right here. To... <laughs> um, all right, so the Orc Warchief, again, does get actually significantly ramps up yeah. to a challenge rating four. Armor class of 16, HP of 93. Uh, similar uh, stats of plus four strength, plus one dex, plus four con, uh, into zero. Actually, what's interesting, it's got an 11 intelligence, right. which means that... that Goes back to the Il- Ilnelva, I think. Yeah. Oh, man, I should be looking at that one. I'm saying it. Where this is going to be somebody who's definitely a lot smarter. Uh, not just smarter than the orcs, but smarter than commoners. They're right. Not, they're not dumb by any means. No. Yeah. 11 wisdom and 16 charisma. Uh, saving. They get some saving throws, too, which is nice. Plus six to strength, plus six to con, and plus two to wisdom. I wish I could get three saving throws. 
It's ridiculous. Yeah. 16 charisma is interesting. That didn't click before. Well, pretty it's high. so interesting. Yeah, I mean, that yeah, is it's just high. high. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense because of the, the war chiefs, but. A Tarrasque and an orc war chief walk into a bar. <laughs> Which one do you notice first? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, that's uh, a pretty impressive stat block, honestly. Uh, plus right. five to intimidation, of course. And they get a lot of the same things with the addition of Groomsh's Fury is just a constant thing they have. The orc deals an extra 1d8 damage when it hits with a weapon attack with its great axe. Now it's doing 1d12 plus 1d8 damage. Same thing with its spear plus four. at plus four and yeah, instead of plus three, uh, it hits pretty hard. And of course it has multi-attack. Uh, so it's not just doing that once. Right. So a orc war chief against a party of level ones uh, is probably a TPK. Oh yeah. Yeah. But it's challenge rating four. It is. But I mean, is a challenge rating four always going to be a TPK against a party of level ones? Probably. Really? Because I feel like there's a lot of other challenge rating fours where they could at least squeak by. Or this one, I feel like it's just going to be like, and one hit dead, two hits dead, and there's three more of you. Let's keep going. It's, I right. mean, it's a very raw stat block. And I mean that not in the rules as written. It's just like, here is some martial brutality mm-hmm. and a pile of hit points. Right. Right. Have fun. I'd say 93 hit points. For level ones is a lot to get through. Yeah. Could be a very fun like first boss though of like, you know, you're the the party starting off in a village and there's an orc raiding party and like they specifically have to go and fight the orc war chief. And if you want them to win, maybe they're in a weakened state uh, yeah. already down to 45 HP because people have been, you know, trying to kill right. it. But if you don't want it, then just have the thing knock them out and basically be like, well, it's hard to say that like, oh, you're not even worth my time. Because if they even went to fight against them, the orcs will probably say, yeah, all right, you might get stronger and I'm going right. to kill you now. So, hmm, maybe they get saved last minute. Yeah, That's orcs are not ones to take prisoners. No. Well, actually, the the Shigar ones are. Are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is? Non-orcs? Non-orc prisoners? Right. It's not like super common, but they do sometimes take prisoners to sacrifice. Oh, right. That's not really... <laughs> I mean, like, right. the end result's <laughs> well, the same, dude. To an extent. You have more it's also was as laborers, as yeah. laborers as well. Yeah, I mean, that. Uh, yeah. it's like saying that... With that being said, now you're with the, yeah, the Shigar or whatever, which is an even higher stat block. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, luckily in that time of you getting knocked out, uh, everybody leveled up to level three. So... <laughs> but, I mean, that's how uh, Out of the Abyss went. It was like, you needed to find a way to get out that wasn't, hey, let's go murder everybody. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so it could be fun or it could be a TPK who knows. Right. Uh, but more than likely, this is how you wanted to start your campaign and you're not expecting everybody to die in this. <laughs> right. Unless we go with those. That'd that- be a great way to quit DMing though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm not interested in this anymore. Yeah. See you guys. <laughs> oh my God. That'd Good timing, right? Really all great. Dead anyways. <laughs> Just tell everybody to put together like really intense characters with tons of backstory and then first game just show up TPK and be like, you know, I actually don't want to do this. Who wants to DM? <laughs> <laughs> and they also get battle cry, which is a one a day thing. It's an action. Each creature of the war, tri- war chief's choice that is within 30 feet. That's not already affected by battle cry. could gain advantage on attack rolls until the start of the war chief's next turn. Uh, the war chief can then make one attack as a bonus action. Yeah, and the fact that they can make an additional attack as well just right. makes that absolutely crazy. I yeah. mean, you can have... It's, it's not even like 
up to their charisma modifier. It's all of them. Right. Which for orcs, I mean, we're talking potentially a lot. 10, <laughs> 15. That's a lot of advantage. Yes. Great axes with advantage. That's always scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> At least they don't have the thing where they, they crit on a 19. Right. Or no, no, no. What is it? With the half orcs brutal criticals. Yeah, that's it. I'm surprised that actually didn't make that under the stat blocks. Actually, I'm not because it's not fun. Actually, it's not. It's not a fun mechanic to throw at your players. It's just fucking mean. I've put it in. Uh, I know uh, you're a fucking piece of shit. Well, no, I mean it was uh, the, in the arena fight, but that's also another half work. So I guess that just makes sense. Yeah, anyways, um, <laughs> there should not even be crits against people. <laughs> it's not even fair. Have you thought about playing a grave cleric? What? They can cancel crits. Can they? Yes. Yeah. I'm not aware of that. That's why I'm playing Grave a sport. are pretty nice. You just gotta but level we'll me up to 15. Next episode. Yes, we will. Anyways, uh, Orc Eye of Groomsh, next on the stat block. Oh, yeah. These are the Orc casters. These are the ones chosen by Groomsh, usually through some sort of dream, which it's really vague on what exactly the dream is, but it makes it very clear to this Orc they have been chosen by Groomsh. And to fully complete this though they have to sacrifice one of their eyes um so give half of their mortal vision to show their dedication to groomsh who then bestows upon them the zoric magical powers this one is only challenge rating two hit points of 45 armor class is 16 interesting its intelligence is actually less than the war chief of nine but has a wisdom of 13 um strength and con 16 dex 12 religion of plus one you know, it's going to come up a lot. Perfect. Yep. Hands aggressive, just like everything else. Groomsh's Fury, where we'll do the um, extra 1d8 to attacks. And then it has spell casting, though, yeah. uh, which is pretty rare for an orc. But it is spell save DC of 11 plus 3 to hit. Uh, and then it doesn't have a lot, so I'm just going to read through it. Its cantrips are guidance, resistance, and I can never say it. Thaumaturgy. Thaumaturgy. Thank you. First level slots of blessing command and second level of augury and spiritual weapon. So, spiritual weapon is not concentration, correct? Correct. Yeah, so this is where you could have a really potent combination. Where they're standing in the back, they get a bless up and bless, you know, do it a second level, bless a bunch of orcs, the orc war chief, so they get a D4 to all their attacks, and then add a spiritual weapon into that, and they're using their actions for the spiritual weapon. And I believe we had a fight like that recently. Yeah. So, it's exactly what I did. I mean, yeah. that combination just, if that doesn't scream out at you, then, you know, what are you doing? Uh, because, I mean, what are you going to use in combat otherwise? Uh, Audrey is m- entirely out of combat. You'd never do that, and it takes a minute, and you basically find out if uh, an event is going to go well. Uh, <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just command, to be honest. Yeah, command, which, with such a low spell save DC, that one that I, I would find it hard to justify casting it, but... You know, at the same time, first turn, you're probably setting up that bless and spiritual weapon. Then its options are to either run up and start hitting stuff with its spear, which it will do a good job of. I mean, it's 1d6 plus 1d8 damage uh, if it's if it has the shield. Uh, and then, you know, again, it's, it's just kind of hitting, but it's not hitting much. Uh, or it can start casting command and take one of your party members out of the fight. So they should right. really, I would expect them to sit in the back and spend most of their time at least attempting to get these things off. Right. I kind I, I don't know. I question why, whether that would be accepted, being that orcs aren't exactly known for subtlety. Like, why are you always in the back? It's like, 
Well, my my stat block, you see, is uh, best utilized from a position of around 45 feet. <laughs> no! Grumsh nerd, still nerd! <laughs> That's actually a really good point. Uh, so so I, I feel like not rushing him in while it seems like a tempting decision. Right. Like, it's not you. It's right. Norkman. Right. So I, I think he should be up in the grill. No, that's actually... Losing concentration over and over again. That's a great point. I, I totally agree with you. Uh, and that's why they have, you know, four first-level spell slots. And maybe, you know, they just start with Bless, and then after that, they just start hitting stuff and using their spiritual weapon or, you know, trying to command because that's still perfectly viable. Yeah, no, I, I think you've got a great point. Yeah. And it actually does... This This functions way better than the Orc Warchief as a low-level encounter booster. You got a good point there, too. Yeah, I would not... <laughs> this I'd feel... I'd say slightly better against putting a level one or two party up against as a boss type where again, the war chief, they're just going to die. Right. They're just going to die. This guy's half the health. It's not too bad. And he also has the spear, which is a little, a little less punishing. Yeah. It's only once you get that spiritual weapon in that it might be doing pretty big damage, but that only has a plus three to hit. So it's probably going to be missing a good amount, which is nice. Nice for a low level party. Definitely. (laughs) I love when I get missed by attacks. <laughs> Cries in saucy. <laughs> 21 AC getting uh, hit every actually, time. Actually, that was a deck save. I <laughs> God. Uh, next up then are the Orogs. Uh, so these are like the, the protectors of the, uh, the tribe. And usually made from, uh, not usually, they are a gift from Luthic, uh, who is Groomsh's wife. So generally they just spend their time scavenging kind of the nearby areas and making sure that if the orcs that go out pillaging and get wiped out, uh, there's still orcs at home to protect the rest of the tribe. Right. Uh, so. And their orogs are considered stronger and smarter than all other orcs. Right. One thing that was interesting that that gets brought up in the lore is the idea that a lot of times uh, chieftains can feel very uh, nervous about orogs because they are smarter than them. They are overall just going to be better at running the tribe, most likely. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they also have no interest in all that they want to do is just make sure that everyone stays safe. Uh, They are probably the breeding police as well. Like, hey, you over there. Are you pregnant? No, get pregnant. Come on, let's keep this up. Because uh, <laughs> they're sent by Luthic, and that's what she wants. Uh, right. So, okay, that would be more silly. You don't have to use that. Uh, <laughs> but they are still, in their own way, going to be uh, a pretty big force to deal with. They're really just an upgraded orc for the most part, though they get plate armor. I don't know why other orcs wouldn't get plate armor, but whatever. Right. It's I mean, it's, it's easy upgrades, though. As your party levels up, but you want to throw orcs at them, give them up plate armor and... Stuff like that. That's a good point. That's a good point. Special sharpened axes that do more damage. <laughs> right. Whatever. Oh, the orcs have plate armor. That's like 20,000 gold worth of plate <laughs> armor, man. They raided an armory. I don't know. And then did what? Hoped it was all for orcs for some reason? Yes. Melted down the metal and reforged it. Now, they're not really good craftsmen, though. Yeah, that's the issue. I, that's a, that's why I think only the orog probably gets the plate armor. It's like, oh, we can only figure this out once or twice, like every year. <laughs> But uh, this would be good, though, if your party was tasked with going to the orc tribe and actually, like, you know, dealing with them. You're like, oh, you know, we killed a couple of orcs outside. How big of a deal could it be? And then you get in and there's like five of these orogs around. And it's right. like, oh, they are much, much scarier than what we saw before. On top of the 
15 or so orcs that are in here and the orc war chief. Uh, it will be one of those, if they are lower level, one of those moments where they go, ooh, diplomacy sounds nice. <laughs> uh, yeah, so challenge rating two, hit points of 42, strength of 18, kind of 18, wisdom or intelligence of 12. So officially the highest right. out of that. And wisdom and charisma of 11 to 12, respectfully. respectfully. Uh, they get aggressive just like everything else. And then they have a multi-attack with two great axe attacks of plus six to hit and 1d12 plus four. Interestingly, they don't get Groomsha's Fury. Yeah. So they don't get that additional D8, which I think fits flavor-wise. Yeah. Because they're not sent by Groomsha, they're sent by his wife. Right. Who's less furious, I guess. Yeah. So one thing I find interesting, though, it talks about, so they are more intelligent than the War Chiefs, but other than that, they're a lot weaker. In terms of how hard they hit and their hit points and everything. Mm-hmm. But it keeps going on and on how the war chiefs are so threatened by them. It's like a one on one war chief versus an Orog. And the war chief's going to win. I think the idea is that they're afraid of them organizing and having oh, okay. the strength of the tribe behind the Orog other right. than the war chief. And right. also, you know, they're not putting much thought behind it. They're like, oh, you know, we're giving this guy plate armor. Why, are, why does he get plate armor and I don't get plate armor? And everyone's like, he's protecting the tribe. And he's like, I'm protecting the tribe. That's all I do is I protect the tribe. Why don't I get plate armor? So, right. So that's intimidating to them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I want that to play out. Yeah. That's good. But yeah, so basically souped up orcs. These are the type of thing would be good for if you go into an orc encampment. As you get deeper into it, you start facing orcs to make it harder, like as you were saying. Right. Or I think it would be interesting to have Orogs can be chiefs. It's not common, but it can happen. Mm-hmm. So kind of homebrewing the Orog stat block to rise them up to like a challenge rating five war chief or something right, right. where they get battle cry and maybe now they do get Grimshaw's Fury and hit really hard and all that. But they still have plate. Yeah. Still, it would basically be it. You also, you just give them plate and Grimshaw's Fury. And then their intelligence. And battle cry. Yeah. 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 I, I could see that. Um, I think what it, it said in the lore again was that the, if the, chieftain dies for some reason uh and nobody really knows you know what to do from there the orogs do step in to keep order uh, and so that's also another area where things become intimidating to them because the orogs are good at just like keeping everybody in line but without them after a chieftain passes uh they made delve into chaos as a tribe without somebody to right. come up and say hey we're going to get together. We're going to figure out who the next leader is. So everybody <laughs> chill out or else I'm going to kill you. Right. <laughs> and that is all the orc stuff within the monster manual. I think that's probably a good stopping point for part one. We've been going on for a while. Part two, next episode, we'll dive into all the Volo stat blocks and how to use them, which really freshen things up. Yeah. They're no longer just like, yeah, meat sacks that hit hard. Right. They, they, they get some interesting abilities, magic, stuff like that. So I'm excited for it, especially to talk about fun ways to use that, uh, the bursty boy, (laughs) (laughs) whatever its name was sticking with that. (laughs) Cool. And now we can move on to our very first ask monsters multi-class segment. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is a thing we're doing. That'll be fun. Yeah. What's our question? I don't know. That was your job. I'm going to pull up the specific question because it was phrased so elegantly. Um, just because it can be both kevin actually what is the difference is that just pronunciation or are those different words i don't like you can't just elegantly you eloquently. aren't eloquent if you like are elegant like what an elegant woman she doesn't have to be talking necessarily okay 
Eloquence specifically is talking. Got it. You can. It's probably just elegant speech. All right. So uh, our question presented by Stephen R. Knoll, who I think we've done some monsters for him before. For he's, sure. He's the one who loves the, the Koa Toa. Yes. Um, <laughs> Ironically, Kuo Toa. Kuo Toa. Uh, so he asked, what creates a better challenge for players? One fight with one strong monster or several fights with weaker monsters? Um, and I think to us, this felt like, uh, oh, well, obviously the answer is this, this, and this. Um, but it brings up a great question around the action economy in 5th edition, uh, which is vitally important. And I think a big mistake that that DMs uh, will face when they, when they first start off. Because the idea of, I think this is a scenario a lot of DMs have seen, where you have this big, bad, evil guy that you want to be this incredibly tough and amazing fight and you put all of these cool abilities that he can use and then on the first turn the monk stuns him and then they just lock him down for the rest of the entire fight and he dies on round two exactly so um i guess the the action economy is again just very important because of that uh which to me makes the uh the, the second being the kind of obvious of one fight with a strong monster or I'm sorry, uh, several fights with weaker monsters is almost always going to be more of a challenge to your party. Yeah, absolutely. It's we've definitely figured this out one the hard way. So it's not inherently obvious up front. We just played so long that we've come to that realization. I, I could definitely remember when you first started DMing Jared, you going that route of like, oh, this is this really cool, tough, big thing. This is going to be an awesome battle. And then I could just picture you getting so incredibly frustrated yeah. as we just kicked the shit out of it in a round and a half. And it's just a nothing fight. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, I, I just could not figure out just like, why is it that these just always suck? Yeah. You and know? you like kept going up and challenge rating and going up and going up. And then eventually you hit a point where you're hitting something that's just going to one shot your party. And then the balance just completely flips. Mm-hmm. It's like, it always seems to be the two polar extremes there. It's really hard to find that balance right in the middle. Um, that being said, stuff like multi-attack does help a bit. That's why it's so incredibly common with monsters, especially like even before players get extra attack and stuff that's supposed to help a bit with that. Cause then they could get multiple attacks on their turn, but it's still not enough because you're having four, five, six, seven, even like players ganging up on one monster everything that you're doing focusing on them yeah definitely and i see it happen a lot in um in critical role actually which you two will not relate to but i feel like a lot of people who listen to us probably will <laughs> what that's not very popular, yeah, is it? Very popular. <laughs> um where a lot of times i'm sitting there and i'm just like you know like a fight is introduced and i'm like this is going to be absolutely awful and matt mercer sitting there like ooh, this is going to be crazy they're fighting a um oh, what's that that lizard dragon that we we talked about here yeah but here yeah yeah they fought a here and there's literally seven people at the table and it's like oh this is gonna be such an intense fight and then it just was killed in like two rounds and he's like i don't know how that happened and this was like early like first campaign i'm pretty sure i don't remember but either way uh he was just like he had that moment of like why did my my big boss just get absolutely destroyed? And it's like, because they just have more things they can do. Right. If you look at a P, what a PC can do on a turn, it is uh, multiple, I'm going to shut down a single target. And then it just keeps going and going and going. Um, so that was a tough lesson to learn. And I remember many times getting 
overly frustrated. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm glad I've learned that lesson and, and hope everyone else can as well. Now, a way then to make your big bad evil guy fights still feel like there's one person who's like the big focus is minions. Right. And you got to have those minions. Um, for a vampire, it's their vampire spawns. Uh, for a giant, it's the whatever they've enslaved. Hill giants, goblins, you know, just right. throw some of those in addition to it to just make sure that the fight just keeps going. Uh, and it doesn't need to have like a set limit because once you put a set limit, then somebody casts fireball, kills those four and they're gone. Right. But if you have a way to just like have this cannon fodder that just keeps replenishing and just makes it a much more interesting fight. For sure. Even if it's significantly weaker, mm-hmm. just their presence makes a big difference because all of a sudden now they could go and harass the casters in the back. Yep. Because again, when you're dealing with that, the one big thing, you have all your martial characters gang around it and lock it down there where your casters are free to pull out all their big spells and concentrations and be fine. Well, now there's these little goblins, which on their own aren't a threat, running around the marshals and harassing your casters and threatening their concentration and giving them disadvantage on ranged attacks and... All of a sudden now, here are entire actions having to go to deal with these little things. Right. And it makes a very big difference. Right. And depending on how you want the fight to feel and and how you want the the balance to come out, uh, the stronger you make those minions, the more of a focus it's going to be for them to kill the minions first and then take on the the big guy. Now, as I was talking about just a second ago, having like an unending number of minions, that doesn't always have to be the case. That can be a way to go about it. Uh, but if you have, you know, the the big bad evil guy who's got 300 HP and whatever else, he's going to be really hard to kill. Uh, but then you have four minions who just do a lot of damage but are really weak. It's in the party's favor to then figure out who is it better that we attack first. Right. The, the big guy's doing a ton of damage and he's casting spells that are really hurting us. But these little guys, when they get up to our casters, are going to kill him in two hits. You know, and that that brings out some strategy as now the party has to really figure out where their effort, efforts are best focused. Right. Um, because any party, once they figure this out, just start to steamroll the DM or at least, again, in, in my experience, uh, once they realize that if they focus on one thing, all efforts on one enemy at a time, it is so much better than everybody fighting their own respective one. Right. Because once you start tipping that action economy in your favor, you can just see the fight just start to steamroll and just just keeps tumbling and tumbling. I guess snowball is the better word. So I, I always make sure that there are the minions are there and they're going to be there long enough to actually make a difference. I think you really have to be careful with that because if you add very durable minions, right. the fight will turn into a slog before you even know it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's nice to have multi-round combat for your big bad evil guy 10 rounds is not you know so if you've got if you balance this out in your head and you're like all right we got to make sure this guy doesn't die in one hit he's a minion you're gonna have to reduce his damage if he's gonna last a super long time and that gets really not fun really fast so i personally always lean towards more of things especially because like things like a uh aoe's you almost lean towards kind of taking the player's ability to do crazy big damage from them almost embrace that you know yeah put 15 goblins 
in a 20-foot circle. Right. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Balance around the idea that that's going to happen. Right. You're basically right. looking at those spellcasters and saying, yeah, do it. But now you're using your your third level spell or whatever level spell yeah. to deal with the minions instead of the whole person that you were saving for the big bad guy. Right. You know, so I, I, I set that up with the, the hag fight we had recently where there was the burr hag who by herself had 90 something HP uh, plus an armor of Agathis I threw on because fuck you guys. Um, <laughs> you blew through it in one hit. You yep. smited her. I was so mad. <laughs> this is a level five armor of Agathis. Oof, um, yeah. But anyways, you played that well, very well. Um, but I put the ice methods around, which it doesn't matter if those would normally be minions. It fit. It's the Burhag. And it was just something that you had to focus on, at least to some extent. Now, I think right. that fight lasted three rounds or something. And you ended up... Doing Blight. some crazy stuff. Yeah. Blight. Yeah, you cast Blight on her. But, you know, I, I definitely put those in there with the thought in mind of somebody needs to deal with these or else you're going to just get pummeled. And that was actually a much closer fight than I think it it seemed to be. Because at one point, the life cleric uh, was running away from the ice methods and took like three opportunity attacks and was left with one HP or enough that any other hit would have taken her down. And then she healed everybody for like a hundred something healing in one <laughs> round. Because <laughs> we have a level eight life cleric and it's just ridiculous. So I, I find it really fun to think about how that balance is going to play out. And I think it's something I've gotten a lot better at. And no longer feel that frustration after a, uh, a big fight. I know how to make big fights right. feel challenging. And that right. is, again, just those minions. Yeah. Uh, if you are really set on having one big thing, um, like in, I guess, Out of the Abyss spoilers, but at the end, the very last fight of the Demogorgon, uh, not the Demogorgon, just Demogorgon. That, that's his name. <laughs> Too much uh, Stranger Things. Yeah. <laughs> He's also going to get really upset if yeah. you, if you right, say right, his right. name wrong. Yeah. So <laughs> That was a party versus one big thing, but right. it felt like a tough fight because you guys got fucking tenderized before that yeah like it was a long drawn out series of tough battles leading up to that burning resources and hit points mm -hmm. so you went into it already weakened and then on top of that you can give these big bad guys the things and a, a lot of uh, the monster manual don't, or the official monsters don't do it anyways with legendary actions and layer actions ways for these things to act outside of their one turn mm-hmm which does help a lot as well, kind of giving them more to the favor of the action economy, right. where they'll have like three multi-attacks or four multi-attacks, and then they get legendary actions where three times in a round they can act outside of their turn, and then layer actions on round 20, they could do something else as well. If you start doing that stuff, you can get it to a more interesting, you know, one versus many fight, but it, it takes a lot of planning. Like I said, you have to really kind of beat up on your players beforehand which to some extent you know that's how 5e is supposed to be yeah you know and for sure. that's another thing that people kind of forget and why a lot of times i think strong monsters fall flat um is because you don't set it up so that there are three encounters beforehand using resources using hp before they get to this big fight so they get to the big fight and they're like great where do i start with my spell list oh right at my fifth levels and all right i shut them down in one turn you know, it's like you need to burn some of those so that way they only have that fifth level left and a couple of first levels. And they're like, oh, my God, like, did I plan accordingly for the day? Because this is a lot worse than I thought it was. 
But then I look over at, at Will, who's playing a druid right now. And every once in a while after sessions, I'll just pull up your character sheet to see how many spell slots you have left. You all are all a over hoarder. Like, <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing to let you just sit on all of those. <laughs> <laughs> because I'll look at others and like, you know, you're down to like a single smite left. Uh, the Eldritch Knight blows through them all. The Life Cleric, it's like a couple healing spells here and there. You know, a third level just in case somebody dies. And then there's Musty. It's like... Both, both your fourth levels, uh, most of your third levels. Like, how do you do it? Uh, I do it with my warlock mentality. <laughs> you only get one I or only two get big two ones. Spells. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I go into every battle. It's like I only have two spells today. <laughs> well, it's it's working out well for you, but yeah, uh, I might need to pump up the the encounter rate. I guess. Yeah. The other problem is uh, druids. It's just a lot of situational shit where you can control battlefield. But if that's not on the table, it's like, all right, I can do mediocre damage. Then. All right. Well, all right. That from what I hear there, it's uh, throw more weak monsters at you to to get hundreds your hundreds of thousands out. of them. <laughs> <laughs> a goblin arena. <laughs> and that's another thing that I'm noticing now. There is, there is a mechanic in this game that ends up on players' plates where killing a thing gets you a thing. Uh, Dark One's Blessing, there's a few others. Uh, I personally, as a spore druid, can make zombies out of humanoids and beasts. If you really did, if you for some reason got it in your head that this game was a uh, one bad guy versus many good guys kind of thing, you're going to end up kind of screwing that player over. Yeah, that's true. You know, you can bat, you can actually technically balance this game. So it's one bad guy against everybody else. It's just, you're fighting against the system and you are robbing a mechanic out of this game. Yeah. You know, so that's also, something to keep in you're mind. You're killing about. AOEs. You kill right. AOEs. Yeah. You, you just like kill huge aspects of this game by right. trying to fit that into your right. head cannon. I don't think I've, I can't remember now the, the last time I did one monster fights it it's i think just been thrown out of my vocabulary to be honest yeah it's yeah i I don't think that's also the best idea especially we've talked about monsters before they just would have no sensible reason to have any minions like within a 12 mile radius of them and that's that's okay too you just have to remember legendary actions lair actions stuff like that right let's look at the yeti fight that was one that happened in, in our last session yeah before the burhag of course i didn't put that as like a big boss for you guys to fight um, but that combat was over in, I think, two rounds, maybe. Yeah, right. Because exactly. once you just, again, have four people focusing on, you didn't even get, yeah, I didn't, three I didn't people, even get a turn. Three people focusing on one monster and it was just gone. I think it was like 150 hit points or something just right. slopped off. So, you know, it's, if I'm putting it in there, yes, it's because the monster doesn't need other things or it doesn't make sense for them to have other minions but i'm not using it as my ultimate fight at the end of the encounter where you guys are supposed to be haggard it's the one that's trying to take up resources and that's right yeah and it did yeah it did so for that it was a success but if that was your boss fight and then i was like everybody gets a long rest sick yeah Yeah. Yeah. boring yeah uh one last thought if you are say homebrewing like a big bad evil guy and it's really powerful and they have like crazy spell cast and martial prowess and all this stuff i would consider splitting them into like two or three different creatures or this monsters is the, or the angry or gm thing oh is it okay you haven't seen no, that no no we, we he's talking about the like multi-enemies okay i'm sorry go ahead given yeah so instead of one challenge rating 15 thing you create three challenge rating five things and like this one's the spellcaster this one's the tank this one hits like a truck okay and then you have three three creatures right. that are 
you're fighting. Okay. And yep. it's still to still try and get the same same feel of a fight. No, that makes sense. And I think yeah. that's that's a very smart way to go about it. Um, what I was saying is kind of similar. The angry GM has a whole write up about uh, this idea of making a, a single enemy feel like uh, a tough fight. And his thing is basically, you know, treat it like multiple enemies who just take up one square uh, where mm-hmm. it's got 300 health and at 300 health, it gets three separate initiatives and then once it drops to 200 health, you take off one of those. So now it doesn't have multi-attack. But maybe it enters into a phase two type thing where, right. you know, it, it loses its third multi-attack, but it gains dragon breath. You know, like whatever makes sense for, right. for the monster. And you know, just, it makes it feel like a more phased fight. But you can also feel a change throughout it. And it gives it, again, three separate initiatives. And, and you actually hit that point of, all right, I hit out 100 it's, it's a good article worth a read, like most of Angry GM stuff. And also, like most of it, I don't use any of it, really. <laughs> I just, I, I I use it in the sense of I like it. I'm oh, like, that's, that's cool. a good idea. I just, no, nah, I'm not going to get around to that one. I, I take the parts I like. Yeah. <laughs> it's very good inspiration of how to run your game. So, yeah, cool. action economy. Yeah. Don't let your players have it at the start of a fight. And what was the question? <laughs> We stayed really on topic with yeah. you. <laughs> the question was, do I have any candy oh, lying around yeah. the house? <laughs> Let me know when you do. <laughs> so yeah, if you have any questions you want us to dive into way too much detail on and take up a quarter of the podcast, hit us up on Twitter or Reddit. We might get to it. We might. We yeah. got a lot. I got, yeah, I said actually, we can't promise. I was kind of surprised. And thank yeah. you to all the people yeah, who have absolutely. submitted questions. Yeah. This will be able to continue on for a good bit of time. Yeah. You're saying, and this might, once we get through all of the multi-classes, which is a reality no one likes to talk about, it will happen. We will hit the end of multi-classing. <laughs> and, a, and then we need another segment. So this, if this keeps going, like, I think that spawned a really good discussion. So this could potentially do it. Nice. Yeah, I think we got 25, 25 multi-classes left. Which is a lot. Yeah, I forgot the Artificer added a good, good amount, 12 yeah. more. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyways. Thanks for listening. Next time on Monsters and Multiclass. Join us next time as we discuss the Artificer Cleric Multiclass and then the Orcs Part 2. The Orkening? I feel like we said the Goblining last time, so... Orc Orcs. Orc Orc. <laughs> and then we'll answer another question, most likely, because why not? That was fun. That was fun.